Hi, ABC family. We're glad that you've joined us online. I have a few things to tell you about today, but I've recruited some of my friends to tell you about something we have special coming up for all of you ladies out there. So Bethany, are we gonna do a favorite things party this year? We are doing a favorite things party this year. Okay, good, because Megan and I won an Emmy last year for our favorite things video. I really loved your video and your skit you was amazing, yeah. but my goal really is a Grammy, so the song is Ooh. more what I'm hoping for. And I was thinking since it's favorite things, we could do the These Are a Few of My Favorite Things song from The Sound of Music. Are you familiar? Oh my gosh, yes. And it's my dream to sing a song and win a Grammy. I am so happy to help you make this dream come true. Okay. okay, so did you get the lyrics I sent over? I did. Mm -hmm. Okay, because I feel like I love the original song, but we want lyrics that are more true to our target audience. Absolutely. These are all of my favorite things. I agree with you. All right. Okay. I'm let's, ready to sing. I've waited my okay, whole life for this. Okay, let's give you your... <clears throat> Key of B, yes? <gasps> la, 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 but, but down here. Oh. La, la. Oh, it's magical. Okay, <clears throat> ready? <sighs> gluten-free donuts. Gluten-free donuts. No, filled. Filled. Gluten always, always gluten. Yep. Gluten-filled donuts and bacon that drizzles. Bright Insta filters and more rain than drizzles. Amazon packages with prime shipping. These are a few of my favorite things. Cream in my coffee. Labradoodles. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Yetis and Stanleys and 90s caboodles. High-waisted mom jeans and kids that don't cling. These are a few of my favorite things. Don't bring candles. candles. Please don't. Be creative. We Please want you there. We simply desire your sweet company. But please don't forget, bring a matching pair. Jazz hands? Give it, give it good touch. Okay. Is that good? That's good. Did I do it right? Nailed it. We're going to win a Grammy. <laughs> Now that you know what's happening and what we're all excited about, we do want to invite all of you ladies to join us for our fourth annual Favorite Things Christmas Party. It's gonna be on Sunday, December the 4th, from 3 to 5 p.m. It's a fun, festive Christmas party where we get to exchange some of our favorite things with each other. And you get some great gift ideas, and at the very least, you go home with something that you can give to the difficult person to shop for in your life. There is no cost for the event, but we do ask that you bring two of your favorite things. So you pick one item that you love and you bring a matching pair to exchange. Each um, item is worth $10, so it's a $20 total. And you don't have to wrap your gift if you don't want to. There have um, been a couple of tweaks for this year, so you get to spend a little bit more time socializing, getting to know one another, and enjoying the evening. Um, more time to laugh and get to know each other. So we, we do want to invite all of you ladies to come. Please sign up. We would love to have you there. Favorite Things is always a really fun time. We hope that you ladies will come and join us on December 4th from 3 to 5. Don't forget to sign up online so that we know that you're coming. Another fun annual event that we get to do again this year is the Atascadero Walk Around the Lake. ABC is hosting a booth this year and we would love your help. That is happening on December 3rd at 5.30. If you would like to help, please email Sean and he would love your help and input. 
You've heard us talking about Angel Tree, and this Sunday is the Sunday to pick up your angel. We'll have them available in the courtyard or after church on Sunday. We just ask that if you pick up an angel, you bring back your gift by December 4th so we have time to get it to all the families. Thanks so much for being here with us. Now here's Jeff with the message. Well, good morning. Welcome to ABC. Thank you so much for tuning in. Man, we've had a busy fall. I hope you caught the message last Sunday from our Awaken Conference. Such a great challenge for our students um, to lean in and embrace a real faith in Jesus Christ. And um, if you didn't, uh, go back and listen to that really powerful message from our guest speaker. Um, we've had our, our missions conference, our culture conference, and we're heading right into the holidays, believe it or not. And so today we're finishing this little mini series in Matthew through chapter nine. And then uh, we're gonna have our Thanksgiving service next Sunday. And you'll really want to be on campus. If you're in town, I really encourage you come on campus on Sunday after Thanksgiving because we have a time of sharing where we open it up and ask for people in the congregation to share what God has done in their life throughout the year and in gratitude. And so um, it's a meaningful time, eight o'clock, nine o'clock and 1045 services the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And then the next Sunday, the first Sunday of December, um, we are jumping into an Advent series. And so we're gonna do three weeks in Advent and then cap that off with Christmas Eve on Saturday night and Christmas morning services on Sunday morning. So we've got a fun-filled December headed your way, um, but we're gonna, in the meantime, finish up this uh, passage in Matthew chapter nine this morning. Um, and, and it's a passage about sheep. And so I had this brilliant idea. I know, I know you, you're not surprised that I have a brilliant idea, but I thought it would be great to have a sheep here with you, with you to show you on camera. And um, I could talk about sheep and how, you know, sheeps behave and whatever. I don't, do you call them sheeps? No, just sheep. How a sheep behaves. And so uh, me and a couple of our staff, we went up to go get a sheep to bring it here to show you. Um, so here's what happened. So Jeff asked me to come get a sheep, and so here we are. Uh, we've got some sheep. Uh, our friends, the Wallaces, have been kind enough to let us grab a couple. So let's see how this goes. Going to like a dive on one. Is that true? Yeah. You're good with that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, we got him. We got Okay, so it didn't work out. So we're going around. What do we do now? Well, we're going to bring the food, mm. and hopefully that will work better. And Aubrey. And Aubrey. Yeah. And Marty. Yeah. All right, we got a better team this time. Better plan. Your side, like fetal position. Oh no! Around. Get him, Sean, get him, jump on him. Oh man, you had him. Okay, Sean, pick him up. We're gonna take him to the car. Oh, I gotta get him off the ground? You got it. But grab behind his legs. Oh, I wouldn't grab down there. It's <laughs> not gonna work. I'm getting kicked in the groin. Oh, God! <laughs> 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 
This one's great. So obviously we did not make it here with the sheep, um, but here's what I can tell you about sheep. Sheep are very gullible and yet they're very stubborn. They do not do what you want them to do when you want them to do it. And so in this passage, when Jesus says that the crowd, he looks on the crowd, and when Matthew says they were like sheep without a shepherd, um, I kind of take that a little bit as an insult. I think, come on, Jesus, come on, Matthew, give me a little more credit than that. I mean, look at the sheep. Just think about what he's saying when he compares the followers, the disciples at that point to sheep, but you realize there's some clear intention behind this analogy of sheep without a shepherd. And I want you to see the compassionate heart of Christ. What we're talking about today, this whole message, this passage is about the moving compassion of Jesus Christ in his heart to help us be drawn to love the lost sheep without a shepherd. My hope is that you walk away with a deep heart for those who are lost, sheep without a shepherd, as we see what Jesus is after here this morning. So turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 9, and I'm going to finish the chapter here. Um, actually, I'm just going to read a couple verses to get us started, and we'll come back to the remainder part of the passage. It says in verse 35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Let me stop right there and we're going to come back to that. But just in a second, understand what's happening, that Jesus is traveling all around and it says he healed every disease and every affliction. There wasn't one person he said, no, not today. Jesus saw them all, maybe lines of people even lining up to be healed, to be touched, to have their life change, their shot at seeing a difference in their life by the touch or the look or the embrace of Jesus. He saw them all. It's powerful. Let's continue on though. In verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I want to remind you where this scene is taking place because I think it's easy for us to get confused as to where Jesus is or who he's talking to um, because he keeps traveling around to these different areas. But in this scene, if you look at the, f the few verses leading up to this, Jesus has just called Matthew the tax collector. He's dined at his house. He's just healed the woman who had been bleeding with chronic illness for 12 years. He just raised a 12-year-old little girl from the dead. He has healed blind and he's healed mute and he's now addressed the Pharisees and called them out. And so we come up to this passage where Matthew says Jesus went throughout all the cities teaching in their villages and in their synagogues and we realize Jesus is close to home in this scene. He's not across the Sea of Galilee over over in the Decapolis speaking to the Gentiles. When there's a crowd gathering around him, remember he fed that crowd. And we imagine, I think when we read passages like this, that Jesus is looking at this very, very lost, maybe pagan society, and he's moved with compassion, but no, he's close to home. These people were likely in Galilee. Some of these people he was looking on as he saw the crowd were people he maybe grew up with, friends, family, neighbors people that he knew, locals, their Jews, and likely even some friends in the mix. And it says in 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What does that mean? 
What picture is Matthew trying to paint of this crowd? Remembering that many of them had been healed. Many of them had been released from the bondage of the affliction they were experiencing. So what does he mean when he says harassed? I want to look at that word first. Harassed. Well, I could explain this away quickly by describing the socioeconomic climate of the day. I could talk about the oppression of Rome or the occupation of the Roman soldiers in their area there. We could talk about um, this stepchild posture even of a Galilean Jew versus a Jerusalem Jew. There was a lot of ragtag kind of nature things in this society, in this culture, but I think it's more than that. I think it's more than political, it's more than economic, even more than the social climate of the day. I think Jesus, when he sees this crowd being who he is, in the fullness of his vision and in his deity, Jesus doesn't see a snapshot of time, but he sees the totality of the human race. Flashing before his eyes are centuries of harassment by the brokenness and the curse of sin. And so when Matthew says, when he looked on the crowd, the multitude, some other translations say, he was moved for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus sees in this glimpse of time, not only the harassed, but the harassers, the perils of injustice, the depraved mind thinking of a sinful heart. He saw that this group was both in slavery, but also capable of enslaving. He saw humanity as being harassed. He saw the oppression of Rome, yes, in the time and the season. But I think in that instant, in that one moment, that glimpse that Jesus sees the multitude, the crowd in front of him, he also saw things like the tyranny of Stalin or Chinese imperialism. He saw the oppression and the poverty, famines in Africa that were perpetuated by this political totalitarianism. Jesus saw all of the dirt and the filth and the pain all in one glimpse of humanity and felt drawn to them compassionate toward them like sheep who were without a shepherd. I think he saw it all. The human race had been, was, and will be harassed by the brokenness and the pain of sin that existed in the world. He saw you and I harassed by consequences of our own sin, wounded by the sin of others, he saw a thousand generations of sheep without a shepherd in that very moment. And he was moved toward them with compassion. I think even in this moment, and I don't want to overstate this, but I also don't want to minimize it. I think in this moment, Jesus saw the ultimate harassment of separation from God. What would happen for those who did not embrace a redeeming faith in him one day would be harassed by the choices of their own sin, by the consequences of their sin. I think of the harassment that's listed in Revelation chapter 9. This is the mind of God himself. As John sees this vision in Revelation chapter 9, it says, Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were not told to harm the grass, or they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And John goes on to write, 
that the people wanted. They screamed out, wanting to die, but they could not die. They were so tormented by their sin. I think that's the harassment Jesus sees in this moment, that there is a generation, thousands of generations of people that without the redeeming love of Jesus Christ, without a shepherd to lead them, they will die in separation from God and their sin and be eternally harassed. And that's what drives the compassionate heart of Jesus in this moment. It's the very thing that stirs up his heart. And we ourselves, you and I were harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And so many of us, and, and many who are even watching now, you would say, well, I, I found the good shepherd. Yes and amen, you have and I have too. We've found a way out, a way forward. Jesus has led us out of our harassment. But now I think the call for us is to be careful then how we see those who are lost. Those who have not found the shepherd because we can tend to take a posture of elitism and to look at the world and say, my goodness, look at how gross and despair and lost that group of people is. And yet I want for us all as we look at this passage this morning to be moved with the heart of Christ towards compassion for those who are without a shepherd. They were harassed and they were helpless. Now, this is, this is a, an, a very specific word choice here. It's not um, alliteration the way we might read it in English, that it's harassed and helpless because it rolls off the tongue, two H words. You know, of course, Matthew would have chosen that. <laughs> yeah, in Greek, it's not that way. Um, this word helpless in Greek is entirely different than the way we might understand it. It's this tossing out or tossing around, scattering, dispersed. He's describing the lost nature of the sheep by using this word helpless. And yet, if we look at our own semantics, when you consider the English version helpless, we would think that means incapable of being helped, right? It's implying this sort of pathetic posture of helpless, and we would be led to feel sorry for the helpless. And I think that's different. I think sympathy is different than compassion in this moment. It's also different than a cynical or apathetic view. There's a fine line here between compassion and cynicism that I feel compassionate towards someone for being helpless rather than feel jaded by their inability to follow. They're helpless. Who could help them? I think it's, it's a fine line here and we ought to navigate that and really understand what is the heart of Christ here? What is the compassionate heart of Jesus in this moment. Apathy would say, that person's a lost cause. Compassion would say, these people are lost. These people are in need of a shepherd. And when he saw the crowds, it says, he had compassion on them. He wasn't frustrated or discouraged or in despair or hopeless. He had compassion. Also an interesting Greek word, it's a really big one, called splugnizomai. That's the Greek word for compassion. It literally means he was moved in his guts. His bowels stirred for these people. And the difference between that and an apathetic approach is that you, you could get beyond being moved, right? You look at the problem and see the problem is too big because apathy is driven by metrics. You would ask the question, well, how could I possibly help them? They are helpless. How could I possibly do anything to assist these people? They're lost. They're gone. They're completely depraved in their thinking. 
The problem's too vast, but consider the mind of Christ. Consider how Jesus himself could have approached this crowd with apathy. He could have said, he could have drifted this way by thinking, I've healed them and yet they're still aimless, which is what he did. He healed them all, it says. He could have even thought, I'm going to die for them and yet they still will not appreciate it, which we also know to be true. He could have thought, I'm going to redeem all of creation and some will still reject it. Helpless. But that's not his approach, not his posture. He was moved in his gut, his stomach, his bowel was stirred. His heart was broken for the loss. There was a pit in his stomach over the realities of injustice. And instead of apathy, we see the hope-filled mind of Christ. It's articulated in Psalm chapter 146. It says, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourner, upholds the widow and the fatherless. And on and on we see God's heart for the lost, the oppressed, the outcast, the sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is moved by the harassed and the helpless sheep without a shepherd. And Matthew describes them appropriately as being sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd, like those sheep up there in Templeton, unable and unwilling at times to be led, but he's moved by them. Imagine looking on a flock. It's one thing to try to wrangle one sheep, you see that happen. Imagine wrangling a thousand of them. A whole bunch of stubborns. A whole bunch of misfits. It's really hard and it's easy for us to be overwhelmed by the magnitude or the volume and yet Jesus leans in with this heart of compassion. I think about the mentality or the approach of Mother Teresa. You know Mother Teresa, you've heard of her just an amazing woman of justice and of mercy. She died in 1997, um, having helped thousands upon thousands of people. And her ministry, kind of in the height of her time, was in Calcutta, India, where she was serving the poor, um, caring for the sick and the wounded and the outcasts of society in a very um, caste-driven culture. And one of the, the greatest um, maybe complaints, if you want to call it that, or challenges to her work was the fact that Mother Teresa didn't approach systemic change. She didn't use her voice or her platform very often to try to bring some sort of political um, restoration or, or revival. She, she cared for people at a molecular level. And, and she took a lot of heat for it. And yet the problem was so vast, people look on the problem and say, it's not going to do enough just to help one. You've got to change the whole system. And her response to that was, if I can't feed a hundred, I'll feed just one. 
I was so moved by the comment she made in dealing with the abortion crisis. That she was being pushed and pushed and pushed. What are you going to do about the abortion crisis? What are we going to do about you know the the problem of of kids not being wanted and and being thrown out and all these other things and. Um, you know, to look at that problem, it seems so vast and so large that you think, what could we possibly do? And she said this, so profound. She said, I tell you what, if you have a child that's unwanted or that is a risk to your family, that's a danger to you that you're afraid of, she said, a child that you don't want, give me a call, I'll take it. It's that simple for Mother Teresa. One person at a time. One child at a time one hungry mouth at a time. She said in another instance, someone was challenging her to teach people how to fish. Stop feeding them fish, teach them how to fish. You've heard that saying, kind of an old Chinese proverb. And she said, the people that I'm serving aren't even strong enough to hold a fishing rod. How about I feed them and then you can come teach them how to fish. Man, just a beautiful heart of compassion that doesn't look at the problem as too big but looks at the problem with compassion. Apathy says, I can't do everything. Compassion says, I can do something. Don't do nothing simply because you can't do everything. Did you know, maybe you do, I didn't know, uh, this month, November of 2022, the world population will likely surpass 8 billion people for the first time in history. 8 billion people in the world on the planet seems massive. Like how can you even comprehend 8 billion of something that's just absurd? Did you also know though that in the world it's estimated that there are somewhere between 2.1 and 2.8 billion Christians? Now I'm not a math genius, but I could do a little bit of math and understand that 2 billion Christians, 6 billion not Christians, Two billion who are following the good shepherd, six billion who are not, that's a one to three ratio. That means that if you and I, who are followers of Jesus, who have found the good shepherd, who know the way of life, invest in three people, it's a one to three ratio. If we lead them to the pasture, to the good shepherd, if we bring them to Jesus, three people is all it would take for every single Christian in the world to show the way to Jesus, to explain the gospel, to show them the kingdom of God, as it says in Matthew chapter 935. He goes throughout the synagogues and the cities proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. Three people. The problem is not too big. Not for God and not for his followers. And yet they are like sheep without a shepherd. Lost, helpless, and harassed without knowing the way forward. And so this is where verse 37 comes in. I want to finish the passage with you this morning. We'll wrap it up in just a minute. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful. There are a lot of lost sheep, but the laborers are few. The ones who are willing to lead them, show them the way. Therefore, he says in 38, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Really interesting, the way that this passage finishes. And it's one of those verses that I'm more curious about what's not said here than what actually is said. Notice that 
Jesus doesn't say in this passage, Matthew doesn't say that Jesus saw the multitudes and felt compassion on them. So he resolved in his mind to stay there until every single one of them understood the gospel of the kingdom of God and followed him completely. No, that's not what Matthew said. He didn't resolve to stay and take care of the problem and solve it himself. No, it also doesn't say that Jesus instructed his disciples in that moment to disciple and shepherd all of these lost sheep because they're sheep without a shepherd. No, somehow I think Jesus understood in this moment the one to three ratio, the two billion to the six billion. And he knew that if this was going to happen, if the world was going to be discipled, if the harvest, if there were going to be laborers to reap this harvest, it was going to happen one person at a time, two people, three people at a time. See, Jesus instructed his disciples not to go, but to pray to the Lord of the harvest, that he would send out more laborers because he knew his role. Jesus's role was to redeem all of humanity and creation, yes, but his role was not to disciple all of humanity. His disciples' role was to disciple, but not all. He knew that it was going to take more than the twelve. And so he discipled three and then he discipled 12 and then he sent them out and he said, pray for more because there's going to be more need, more harvest, two billion to six billion, one to three ratio. We can disciple the world. We can reach the sheep who are lost without a shepherd. It's interesting to me that Jesus in this moment didn't say go, but he said to pray because it was too narrow for them to believe and for us today to believe that these 12 were the answer. It would be too narrow for us to believe that our little church in Atascadero is the answer. The problem is far bigger. The need is far bigger. But it still requires that we do the three and then the 12, the one at a time and two at a time and three at a time. His heart of compassion is moved to that. I think we'll do really well this morning to see Jesus seeing the harassed and helpless sheep like those stubborn lambs of Templeton. In some sense, ignorant. In other sense, stubborn. And yet very, very lost. He was not frustrated. And I think it's easy for us to become frustrated. He was not cynical and we risk becoming cynics. He was moved toward them with compassion. And here's where I fear we depart from the heart of Christ. My fear is that when we look on a multitude of people and in our world, the day that we live in, even in our just our small community, North County Slow here, when we look on our world, our hearts are hardened towards the lost rather than broken by the harassment of sin. My fear is that we've been moved to criticism and to judgment over the helplessness of the world rather than stirred with a heart of compassion. My fear is that we've been motivated by fear when we look on the world, the lost sheep without a shepherd, helpless and harassed, that we need to somehow insulate ourselves from them because they are the enemy. Don't get me wrong, there are wolves. They're not all sheep, they're not all lost sheep. The Bible makes that clear, there are wolves in our world and we need to ward them off 
but in many cases there are just very lost sheep, harassed and helpless, hurting and broken. And we would do well to allow for our stomach to grow sick the way the bowels of Jesus were moved with compassion for those sheep without a shepherd. When we see the injustice of sex trafficking, pornography industry, orphan crisis, the prevalent problem of, of abortion, the harassment of material greed in our world, the political or religious elitism that we see in our world, nationalism. There's so many ways that people are harassed in our world today. My call, I think the call of Jesus, do not judge the world for they are helpless and they're harassed. They are sheep without a shepherd. They don't have the same knowledge and insight that you've been led to by the good shepherd. They need someone to tell them. And I fear we've grown apathetic or discouraged over the magnitude of the crowd and we've resigned ourselves to the fact that the problem's just too big for us to possibly impact. Someone else will have to reach the world. It'll take more than one at a time. It'll take systemic change. It'll take revival. And yes, God can lead our world to systemic change. God can lead our world to mass revival. There's a lot of ways he can reach the world. But it doesn't mean that we resign ourselves to the one at a time. I remind you this morning that the heart of Jesus was stirred with compassion for the sheep without a shepherd. He did not feel the need to disciple them all, nor did he believe that they couldn't all find the shepherd. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, he says. And in the next passage, we'll see Jesus send out disciples to begin the work of shepherding this harassed and helpless sheep without a shepherd. I want to pray and ask that God would give us his heart that he would transplant the heart of Jesus into ours, that we'd be soft and we'd be broken. We'd be ready to follow wherever he leads. And, and after I pray, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the coming week ahead and some opportunities. Let me pray. Father, I, I can't help but think of the times when, when I've blown past an opportunity thinking there's no way I could help. Think about the times when I've looked on someone that, that was clearly lost and my heart was hardened against them and I simply thought, they're helpless. There's no point. There's no opportunity or willingness for change. And that is not your heart. That's not what we see in this passage. And so Lord, I just right now confess that, those moments. I have passed right on by. And I pray, Lord, that our church would become a church that's stirred in our bowels with compassion for those who are sheep without a shepherd, those in our world who are lost, who are harassed, and they're helpless, and they're dying without the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, and if every single one of us just grabbed onto three stories, three lost sheep, that we could introduce to the life-changing truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and introduce them to the good shepherd, someone to lead them, that we would no longer have crowds and multitudes of sheep without a shepherd, but we'd have crowds and multitudes of people with a good shepherd following the good shepherd of Jesus Christ. 
God, move us that way, Lord. Lead us that way. Move us towards a heart of compassion and then may we pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers for the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. We know that to be true. May we not be the ones guilty of not being laborers in the harvest. So Lord, may we do the work but then may we pray for more, more laborers to send out. Thank you, Lord. In your precious name I pray, amen. I wanna let you know of a couple things uh, as we conclude this morning. Firstly, uh, as we head into Thanksgiving, I mentioned the sharing time that we'll have on Sunday, but we've produced a guide, a sort of guide to giving thanks. And Pastor Gerald's going to talk us through that next Sunday in our time of sharing. But we, we decided to go ahead and give that to you now so that you could use it throughout the week. So instead of a reading plan this week with our normal passages that would tie to this sermon our reading plan this week is passages of thanksgiving, passages for giving thanks. And so you can go onto our website on the sermon page and uh, that's gonna be a downloadable PDF. Um, it's a guide to thanksgiving and you can download that, look at the passages on there. Use those around the dinner table on Thursday if it makes sense. There are some great categories of how to give thanks and what to give thanks for if you need some primers. Um, our hope and our heart is that you would take advantage of the, the holiday, the season that we're in, sort of just as our own country pauses to give thanks, that we as believers would embrace the biblical idea of giving thanks, of being grateful people, and that we could do that together. And so take a look at that guide. That's online. You can get that, download it, put it on your phone or print it off and have that handy this week. It might come in handy as you kind of walk through some of the family gatherings and things that you might approach. Now, I want to make you aware of one more thing. Um, and that is that Thursday uh, on Thanksgiving, we recognize there are a lot of people in our community um, that don't have a place to go for Thanksgiving. Uh, some of them are homeless. Some of them live alone. Um, maybe uh, they're elderly that don't have family coming into town. And so uh, if you are aware of someone or you yourself have no place to be on Thanksgiving Day, um, we want to give you two opportunities. The first one is if you're capable and willing and would like to serve that group of people, um, you can serve and you can go onto our website and get the, uh, get the email address. You can just call the church office and they'll get you the contact info for how to sign up to serve on Thanksgiving Day. And if, uh, if that's not something that you're interested in doing or entertaining, um, we'll also uh, just be happy to serve you. So um, we'd love to have you join us. Or again, if you know of someone that could benefit from that, um, the meal is going to be in the gym at Atascator Bible Church here um, at 12 o'clock noon. So from 12 to 2, there's a Thanksgiving dinner provided, and we'd love to have you join us and, and would hate for anyone um, to go without community or family this week. Um, so feel free to come on by and uh, enjoy lunch. And again, if you can serve, check in with the office and We'll get you set up on that list to surf too. So have a wonderful holiday, a great week, and we hope you can all join us back here next Sunday um, for the live sharing time that we do on campus.